The book of Numbers chapter 16 is known for God's punishment. God's punishment. And there are three of them. One of them is particularly famous. I don't know if you, at Christmas time, do you watch the movies Home Alone? On the second one where the little fellow is lost in New York, he ends up going to an uncle's house. An uncle's house is under a remodeling job, so nobody's there, but it's a perfect place for him to go in there and, um, and uh, create these little strategies to, to uh, catch the bad men. When the bad men get there uh, to the front door, uh, the house, of course, being remodeled, and they open the front door, and one of them steps as he's going into the house, and there's a big hole there. Okay, he falls right down into the hole, and of course he's perfectly okay, except that his back is a little uh, stiff. And, but when the bad guy gets up from his fall, he says, he says, wow, what a hole. What a hole. And here in number 16, and you look down to 30 and 31, 32, God's going to bring judgment upon some folks. The mouth of the earth opens up, you remember, and swallows up an entire family of bad people. And we're going to get into that. That's not the only punishment here in this book. If you look at uh, Numbers 16 and verse 35, it says, Fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So these 250 men were associated with Korah, and Abiram and Dathan, the three main uh, rebellious leaders. And so we're going to be getting into that. But then notice also, from verses 41 to 50, God will send a plague among His people. And notice verse 49 says, 14,700 people uh, died uh, in the plague. Okay. And so... There's a lot going on in this chapter, and I'd like for us to work through it. Remember, the book of Numbers is really uh, the time in the wilderness. It's called Numbers because there is a census taken of God's people uh, early in this book, numbering uh, over 600,000 people. But then there's also the dedication of the tabernacle and the... um, sanctification, if you will, of the, of the Levites. You might remember over in um, Numbers 13 and 14, God will send 12 spies into the Promised Land, and that has a lot of uh, impact for their future. And so in Numbers 16, they're now in the wilderness. God has, has um, been making His rules and regulations for uh, their time in the wilderness, and then eventually uh, for them passing on into the promised land. And so we'll get into this. Numbers chapter 16, 1 through 11, talks about the rebellion of Korah and Moses' response to that. So Numbers 16, 1 through 11, the rebellion of Korah, who is a Levite. And then Number 16, verses 12 to 15, talks about mainly the rebellion of Dathan and Abiram and what they had to say about their rebellion. And then number 16, verses 16 to 30, is about God's recognition of who is truly righteous. 
Korah, Dathan, and Abiram are contending that, that Moses is not righteous, that he's taken too much on himself, and that they had a better plan. Well, God formulates this idea of how to show who is actually the righteous ones uh, in this case. So that's verses 16 to 30. And then verses 31 and 35 is God's righteous, judge, righteous judgment. And then verses um, 36 to 40 speaks of God uh, having them uh, take the censers of uh, the evil men that will perish in this fire and uh, sort of plaster them on top of the altar as a reminder of this rebellion. And so uh, verses 36 to 40 is God's reminder to the people. And then verses 41 through 50 is the plague and why God sent the plague and over 14,000 died. Okay. So that kind of gives us an idea of what's in this chapter. So let's get into it. I, I invite your comments because you're familiar with some of these uh, details here. But verses 1 through 11 uh, speaks of Korah's rebellion. Let's see what his rebellion is all about. Look at um, chapter 16 and read with me verses 1 through 3. Numbers 16, 1 through 3. Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And so they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. Some translations say you have taken on too much. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord. Now, this would be comparable in our day to someone saying, uh, we don't need to follow the New Testament because the way God has arranged history and the way God has set up His will, today we are under the system of Jesus Christ, as you know. And so this would be very comparable if someone said, well, I see what you're saying about the New Testament and and the death of Jesus and how he, he nailed the old law to the cross. And, and we have the new covenant today. But I think if someone said, uh, I think that you, know, you can receive um, direct communication from God today. Or somebody said, I think you can mix in some of the Old Testament with the New Testament. Or uh, if someone said, I think the traditions and opinions and commandments of men are just as reliable as what's written in the New Testament or somebody just didn't pay attention to the New Testament, this would be, for our day, comparable to what's going on here in Moses' day. Moses and Aaron are God's authority for the Israelites at this particular period in history. This is not about Moses and Aaron per se. It's just that God had chosen Moses and Aaron to relate to the people how things were going to go. So to rise up against Moses... And Aaron would, is just exactly uh, rising up against the word of God and, and the will of God. Okay. Let's notice um, some of the, um, the schemes of Korah here as he, he mounts his 
rebellion. Okay. Notice, for example, uh, verse uh, 2 says, he, when he came against Moses, he brought 250 well-known men okay. in order to sway the people, in order to intimidate Moses and Aaron, quite obviously. And so this, this still happens. You know, people will heap to, to, together people of like-minded uh, rebellion, and um, it will give them, they give themselves confidence in that way. And so this is one of the schemes of the devil, is to make, make righteous people feel like that everybody is against them, that the whole, uh, the whole world is against them, that they stand alone. There's no, use keep, there's no use for you to keep going because everybody knows that you're wrong. And so this is kind of the tactic being used against Moses uh, here. Notice a, a New Testament verse with me. Go over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Notice Paul's warning to Timothy. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Preach the word. Uh, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and, and teaching. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, notice this, they will heat to themselves uh, teachers, or they will accumulate for themselves teachers after their own lust, after their own desires. Okay. And this is what Korah is doing. Korah has found over 200 other people who also have the same desires as he has, which is basically they want to go back to Egypt. And I don't understand that. That's a, that's a reoccurring theme all throughout the book of Numbers. I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. And so uh, this is part of the scheme here of Korah. There's really, it's the scheme of Satan uh, himself. Okay. Now, notice another scheme here is um, the use of flattery. Right? Because uh, what is, um, what are Korah and... Um, Abiram and Dathan, what are they saying to the people? Well, look at this in verse uh, 3. They say, Moses, you've taken too much on yourself, for all in the congregation are holy. These are all good people. All in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so uh, they're, they're, they've, they've been able to sway the people because they are full of flattery. And I'm always, and I know you are too, when somebody comes at you with a lot of rose-colored flattery, then you kind of put your guard up, don't you? And uh, because sometimes they're just up to no good. Well, turn over to Romans 16 and notice a, a comparison here. Romans um, 16. While well, we got the time. If you notice in Romans 16... Starting in verse uh, 17, Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that uh, you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own appetites, their own stomachs. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Of the innocent. Okay. This is what's happening here uh, with the congregation of Israel here in the wilderness. 
Instead of studying and praying and meditating upon God and listening to Moses and Aaron carefully, people are, have become naive. And so it was easy to sway them with their smooth words and flattery uh, talk. And so this is part of what's going on here. But interesting is to see Moses' response. Okay, so look at number 16 in verse 4. What's the first response of Moses here? Number 16, verse 4. What's the first thing Moses does? Okay, he falls on his face. What is he doing here? Okay, he's probably praying, most definitely. This is a phrase often used. You'll see it again in this chapter. Okay. And, you'll, and you'll, you'll see Moses and Joshua uh, doing this quite often. What, what's the significance behind this? What do you think? I think prayer is definitely involved. But this is his first response to this rebellion. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that is part of it, Mark. Mark's saying, uh, what was that word you used? A gas. Yeah, just shock. Okay, yeah, he, he's very distraught. He's very distraught. And his reaction is much different than, than others because he understands it. To, to, to walk against or rise up against the authority of God, this is exactly what's happening here. They are going against God. This is... This is the worst position to ever put yourself in. And Moses understands that. And he loves the people. He's a great leader to people. And this makes him so distraught that he just falls on the ground and shows incredible humility. And, um, and hopefully what he was trying to do was to show the people just how terrible this thing is. This is not about me or you. This is not about someone's personality or who you are or who I am, this is about God. And for you to be doing this is, um, is, this, is this is the worst sort of situation you're putting yourself in. <coughs> so notice uh, that response. Okay. But then notice also his response here in verse uh, 8. Chapter 16, verse 8. Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you, you sons of Levi, uh, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister uh, to them? In your own words, what is Moses saying to Korah here? Now, what did the Levites do? Yeah, they, they were God's special priests, special ministers. And you go back, it, it's interesting, you go back earlier in the book of Numbers from like chapters of 4 all the way through chapter 10 or 11. It's just a constant uh, repetition about separating the, the men, the, the, the Levites. For uh, taking care of the furnishings of the tabernacle and the altar uh, right outside, and how God is separating them, He's cleansing them. How they're going to remain clean for for their service, and so 
remembering all of that, let's see if we can just look at a couple of verses. Uh, go back to Numbers uh, 7. Maybe we can bring out just a short little phrase here. Numbers uh, 7. Uh, verse 9, notice this, number 7, verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath, see, uh, he gave none because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. Okay, part of their ministry, and you can read all about it there in, in chapter 7. Then look over to chapter 8. You see how many verses are there in chapter 7? a long chapter. Look at chapter 8 and verse 14. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. And after that the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting when you have cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering. So again, a lot of repetition back there to show how God is separating these men for this special service. So, again, what do you think Moses is saying to him here in, in Numbers 16, verses 8 and 9? When he's, especially in verse 9, when he says, Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation to minister to him? What's he trying to get them to understand? Their work is extremely important. Um, they were chosen for these special services, and yet they're rebelling. And Moses is trying to get them to see the enormity of, of their uh, turn from, from the Lord and how this is not going to be good. Moses here is, is the evangelist. He is, he is trying to keep punishment from them. First, by falling on the ground and praying for them and trying to show them how really terrible this is and then having this discussion with them. Don't you realize? Is there any application here for us from verse 9? Is it too small a thing for you to realize? Well, under the new covenant, we're all priests, aren't we? First Peter 2, 5, we're a holy priesthood. And so, is it the same way for us? Is it, um, is it a special calling for us, for all of us? I believe uh, that it is. Turn in your Bibles with me to a couple spots. Let's go to Hebrews. Several places we could go. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Picking up verse 26, Hebrews 10, 26 and following. Warning Christians not to turn back to the old law, not to fall weak in their faith. Hebrews 10 beginning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, notice that after we have received the knowledge of the truth, we've obeyed it. We're, we're following God. 
If we go on resinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's old law. Okay. Why is he bringing this up? Well, he's making a point. Leading us to verse 29, Hebrews 10. How much worse punishment do you think will be observed by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has done uh, a dispirit or outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of of the living God. But notice that after we've received the knowledge of the truth and then we turn from that, what are we doing? We are counting the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus that he shed for the world, for the church, for, for the new covenant as something that just doesn't amount to anything. It's something just, that's just ordinary. And we're outraging the very spirit of God. You combine these Old Testament examples of God's judgment with what is said in Hebrews 10 here. It ought to wake any of us up. Uh, jump on over to 2 Peter 2 and verse 20 for just a second. 2 Peter 2, uh, 20. For if after we have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord. Notice again, this escaping the world comes through the knowledge of of Jesus. And then we are again tangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better for them not to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered uh, to them. And so yes, I believe there's a direct application here from number 16.9 to us today. We are priests of God. We we are of all people most blessed to live in the time in which we live under the new covenant to be able to know, love, and serve our Lord. And suppose we just threw all that, threw, threw that away. What if we raised up in rebellion against the New Testament as Korah was doing in his day? Then we're not learning the lessons. So notice here uh, three things in Korah's rebellion. First, he's rebelling against the authority of God. Secondly, he had some schemes he was working with. And then notice especially um, Moses' response to this. Okay. Now, the paragraph from verses 12 to 15 deals with Dathan and Abiram's uh, rebellion. Okay. Now, there's a little bit different. Let's see what they say. Notice first what they say in number 16 and verse uh, 13. Someone read that for us. Number 16, verse 13. Real loud. Go ahead. Whoever. 1613. 1613. Mm-hmm. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Except thou makest thyself all together prince over us. Okay. So this is what Dathan and Byron saying to Moses. Is it a small thing that you, 
how brought us up out of a land of flow of milk and honey to where we're at right now. Now, um, I just know that Moses is standing there thinking, look, you've got a much different picture of Egypt than what um, the rest of us do. I mean, notice what, what Dathan and Abiram are saying. You brought us up out of a land flowing milk and honey to where we're at right now. Okay. If I'd been standing there and come out of Egypt, I would have said, where's your mind? Do you not remember Egypt? Well, jump back to Exodus chapter 1 right fast. Just to remind us, verses... Uh, 13 and 14. So, in a ruthless way, they made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all, the, in all their work, in a ruthless way, they made them work as slaves. I would say that... Um, have you ever heard of somebody trying to change history? What do they call them nowadays? Revisionist? This is Dathan and Abiram. Revisionist history here. We came out of a land flowing milk and honey. Really? Not, it might have been good for, for Pharaoh and his house, but it wasn't good for uh, the Israelites in Egypt. Especially after Joseph died and went away. So, there's one thing that Dathan and Abiram are saying. And then another thing, number 16, verse 14, they say this to Moses. They say, moreover, you have, you have not brought us into the land flowing of milk and honey like you promised, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Okay. Well, Again, if you were Moses, you'd be standing there saying, you know, have you forgotten? And we don't have to forget, because we've got the chapters here, but they've got the history. Why is it that they're not going directly into the land flow of milk and honey? Yeah, the bad report, which is found in what chapters? Yeah. Chapters 13 and 14. Jump back to chapter 14. We'll pick up verse uh, 31. Numbers 14, 31. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last day of your until the last of your dead bodies lie in this wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. So Dathan and Byron thought they would come in and just kind of distort history a little bit, but that didn't work. But look at the schemes of the devil. Right? Through Korah and through Abiram and through Dathan, notice 
They heap to themselves some men of like-minded corruptness. And then they use flattery toward the people they like. And then they condemn those they didn't like. And then they try to change history. So, uh, people still doing the same thing today, probably. What do you think? Alright, so that brings us down to verses 16 through uh, 30 that speaks of the fact that God is going to provide a way to show exactly who is um, who's speaking the truth here and who is not. Okay, But notice, the first part of the chapter is like a plea to these men that, that maybe they would come to their senses and repent, but it just doesn't work that way. And so beginning in verse 16, God's going to say, I want everybody to meet me in the morning. Come before me in the morning. And Moses is kind of saying this, but God is saying it through Moses. Meet me in the morning and then you'll find out. You know, bring your censors, bring your 250 men, bring them all. And meet me in the morning before the tent of meeting. And they do. And so I guess... The, the men got busy during the night because not only did they meet the Lord in the morning, meet Moses and Aaron in the morning, but they also had been very busy swaying the entire congregation to come meet at the same time. What was the Lord's response to the whole congregation coming and standing against him? What does he say here in verse, what is it, verse 20? Yeah, that's right. He said, uh, Moses, Aaron, get out of the way. I'm, I'm done with my people. I'm going I'm I'm to destroy them. And as Moses does time and time again, he pleads in behalf of his people. Several weeks ago, as we were studying on Wednesday night, we looked at some of the, the likenesses between Moses and Jesus. And one of, this is one of them. Jesus pleads in our behalf. Moses did this so very uh, often. So look in your Bible, Numbers 16, uh, verse 20. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces, there it is again, and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the current congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And so verses 25 through uh, 30, that's what they're doing. They're separating the congregation. They're pleading word. The only ones that's going to be destroyed are the families of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And of course, those 250 men, well-known men, who thought they'd show up with them, they're going to pay with their lives as well. Notice what Moses says here in verse um, 28 and 30. Chapter 16, 28 and 30. Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it, is not, it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all men, or the common death of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down, 
then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground did under them split apart, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, so that they and all that belonged to them went down alive in the Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And then fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that were offering the incense. I want you to notice there that Moses says something very important in verse 29 about death. About death. He says, death is common. But he says, you're about to see something new. Okay. The ground's going to split open. But he also makes a very important point that death is common to all men. Why is death common to all men? Hmm? All, men. all men die. It's natural law. Why is it natural law? Hmm? Sin? Yeah, right, sin. sin. And this is important for us to have uh, handy for folks uh, to talk to them about the reality of death. And it all starts in Genesis, right? God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin. And from that point on, uh, sin has been in the world and death through sin, Romans 5, verse 12. Very important for us as the disciples of Christ to be able to, to really talk about this in a very intelligent way. There's no way of stopping death. No way of stopping death. You can't catch it with a lasso. You can't catch it with a, with a fishing net. It's happened. It's here. It's among us. And it is the Lord's way. It is how he has set things up. We are grateful that he hasn't banished us forever. As we deserve. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We deserve a, an eternal separation from God. Is what you deserve and I deserve. But no, there is the free gift of Jesus Christ. It says there in Romans 6 and 23. This is the way it is. Now, do you think that God is still creating special death in our day? Or do you think everybody dies by natural causes? Do you think that God is somewhere up there and He is just snapping the life cord of individuals here and there and making abrupt decisions all the time about well, who gets to live, who gets to, to die, or what? So I see you're afraid to answer that. If he is, there's no way to tell. So, anyone else? Well, we pray. We do pray. And prayer is effective sometimes. Prayer is effective? I shouldn't say sometimes. <laughs> 
But it goes our way sometimes. Is what I'm Prayer is effective and it goes our way. <laughs> the reason I ask the question is because I want to know what you think. But uh, our sister here is saying that, you know, we pray, and certainly any time that we have life, we give God the credit. Any time anyone recovers from sickness, uh, we give God the credit as we should. Uh, any time anyone is protected from anything that's bad, harmful, we give God the credit. Uh, but I don't know that we, as James was saying, I don't know if there's any way to, to tell, but, but I would lean on the fact that, that everything that happens today, death-wise, is by, by natural law. I would lean that way. Because the miraculous things are just not in our world today. That's the way the Lord worked it out. The Lord used to work in a lot of direct miraculous fashions. But we know he doesn't do that anymore. You didn't say miraculous, though. I didn't say that, did I? You didn't say that. What did I say? You didn't say miraculous when you asked the question. I said special. Okay. I said special. <laughs> so, my original question was, does God create special death today as he did in this time, or is all death uh, by natural means, by natural law? And I knew when I asked it, it wasn't an easy question, but I think it's worth pondering, worth thinking about. And we especially need to be able to talk to people about death because that's a, that's a tremendous motivation to think about spiritual matters. And it's obvious, it's obvious that that is something all of us must face. And um, so... Moses mentions this here, and so I thought we need to look at it too. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And so it is, it is something we must uh, be willing and able to discuss as we speak about the Scriptures.
Oh, that's good. That, that, that last statement is really good. Judgment's not happening on the physical scale like God used to do. And what James was saying is, it seems like God did work, obviously, in biblical times in direct ways, but then now he has sort of pulled back and, and works more through his providence uh, now. And we, we can't trace that providence. That's the thing. And that's the beautiful thing about faith. Faith is we're trusting you know, and we're trusting that the Lord uh, knows best. But I think we can definitely say He is not punishing in the direct physical ways that we see Him doing. Not only Old Testament, but think about um, Ananias and Sapphira of Acts one. You know, and Acts twelve, uh, Herod died and the worms ate him. You know, uh, that's not the kind of thing happening uh, today. Okay. So. We, we revert back to uh, the, the fate of all men is to die, and probably most likely by natural means. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what uh, Sister Rogers is saying. They had this in front of them and still yet disobeyed. And this is really the climax of this chapter when you look at chapter 16, verse 41. On the next day, what does it say, guys? On the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel, does it really say this? They grumbled. On the next day. You just shake your head. You say, surely I wouldn't be in that crowd. I wouldn't be grumbling on the next day. What does that say? On the next day. And so they grumbled. And this is where the plague comes in. And again, uh, Moses and Aaron had to run among the people and offer some incense. And, and they were able to slow the plague down to where only 14,000 died. But still, God was very upset. And uh, could we blame him for being upset in a righteous way? Thanking a kid and they turn around and do the same thing. The stubborn will. The stubborn will of man. 
Okay, Mark's bringing up uh, Jude verse 11. The gang saying of Korah is used as an example. That's a good, that's a good reference to have uh, down here. The gang saying of Korah in Jude verse 11. Not an accident they use these words. Oh, no. Yeah. Probably right. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate so much uh, working through this pretty long chapter, but I think we can get the gist of it and see the lessons that we need to learn uh, from it. Uh, this, the day in which God opened up uh, the mouth of the earth is quite fascinating. So... Um, I have a few notes written down, um, if you'd like to have those, some passages that we didn't get to uh, tonight, I'd be glad to, I've got those copied and I'll be glad to hand that uh, to you along with the outline of this chapter. So if you, I'll have those in the back after I dismiss them. Let's take a few minutes, a couple minutes break as we get ready for our devotion.